The next hour will inform you on how cybersecurity is one of the most significant threats to our national security, as well as the battle that cybersecurity experts are undergoing every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Welcome to Task Force 7 Radio with your host, the president and CEO of Task Force 7 Radio and Task Force 7 Technologies, George Reedus. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 110 of Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm Andy Bonello, pinch hitting for George Reedus. I want to emphasize that all opinions expressed on the show are my own and not that of my present or past employers. I'll never disclose any sensitive intelligence that I have been privileged to as a result of my current employment, and I'll never knowingly disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I presently hold or have held in the past with the United States government. And nothing I say during the show should be construed as legal or financial advice. Before we get started, I want to remind everyone that you can go online to the Cybersecurity Hub and get a and read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at their very cool website, www.cshub.com. The Cybersecurity Hub is an online news source for global cybersecurity professionals and business leaders who leverage technology and services to secure their networks. The media professionals at the Cybersecurity Hub are dedicated to providing the latest industry news, thought leadership, and analysis in the cybersecurity space. So again, to check out a recap of tonight's show and to get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news, go to the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. So last week we had Kate Frazzini on the show. We'd love having Kate on, cybersecurity reporter for one of the biggest TV networks on the planet, CNBC. She's also an adjunct professor for uh, George Washington University. Georgetown University is the University of Maryland. Kate chatted with George about this year's annual financial sector war games, what type of attacks the financial sector drilled in on, and what was the difference between this year's Quantum Dawn exercise than in previous years. Kate also discussed how effective these war games are, the risks to U.S. firms exposing too much information to overseas entities, and what the main concern was during the energy sector war games. George and Kate also discussed the recent departure of the Capital One CISO and whether or not CISOs are being treated fairly when breaches occur, and how the perils of being a CISO in a high-profile company are changing every day. There's something for everybody in episode 109 of Task Force 7 Radio. So if you missed last week's episode, don't sweat it. Just go to your favorite playback medium and you can catch it at any time at, right at the top of the TF7 Radio episode library. That's what was different about Quantum Dawn this year on last week's episode. That's episode 109 of Task Force 7 Radio. Well, if you're listening to us live on Voice America right now, or maybe someone just sent you the link to this episode, you might be wondering how you can listen to all the previous Task Force 7 episodes um, on playback. Just go to the new TF7 Radio website, www.tf7radio.com, and hit the episode tab at the top of the homepage, and you can find all the TF7 Radio episodes at your fingertips. We're on at least 11 different playback mediums now. We've made it easy to find them all. Just hit the subscribe button at the top right of the homepage, and you can see your entire selection of playback mediums, and most importantly, you can subscribe to our show right from the TF7 Radio website which is the best way to stay connected to the TF7 family. So check us out, folks, at www.tf7radio.com to hear any of, any of our episodes at your convenience, 24-7, 365, anytime, anywhere around the globe. And as always, whatever you do, don't forget to subscribe. We love it when you subscribe. So we have another great show for you this week. We have the founder and CEO of ThinkSec and the former CISO at the Sands Institute, Mr. Frank Kim. 
frankly, the information risk function for the most trusted source of computer security training and certification in the world. Frank was also executive director of cybersecurity at Kaiser Permanente, where he built an innovative security program to meet the unique needs of the nation's largest not-for-profit health plan and integrated health provider. Frank has over 20 years experience leading, building, and transforming cybersecurity and technology programs for enterprises across a variety of industries, including healthcare, insurance, financial services, and technology. Based on this experience, Frank focuses on strategic leadership, organizational transformation, balancing leading security practices with business needs. Frank also helped shape and develop the next generation cybersecurity leaders as, as an author, public speaker, and educator. With the SANS Institute, he continues to lead the management and software security curricula, which leads, <clears throat> which, which helps develop hundreds of security leaders every year. Frank holds degrees from the University of California, Berkeley, it's an author and instructor of popular courses on CISO leadership, strategic planning, DevSecOps, and cloud security. It's my pleasure to introduce founder and CEO of ThinkSec and the former CISO at the SANS Institute, Mr. Frank Kim. Frank, welcome to Task Force 7 Radio. Hey, Andy, appreciate it. Thanks a lot for having me on. Yeah, man, look, it's a long time coming. You know, we've got a lot of mutual friends in the industry. You know, you've got a great, great brand, great reputation. You're a technical leader. You're a risk-based leader. I'm really excited to have you here. Um, before, before, you know, in this segment, I'd love to touch on, you know, a little bit, you know, your perspective on, on cybersecurity training, being that you've covered so much at SANS and built out, you know, set DevOps frameworks there. Um, I, I'm feeling like as I travel around and talk to folks that they're just not getting the right guidance in their career. And you engage so many, you know, cybersecurity practitioners and leaders. Do, do you think they're getting the right guidance to help navigate their career? You know, I think it really depends on where the person is coming from. Do they have a technical background? Do they have a more non-technical background? And based on their experience, you know, we see a lot of people joining the industry from other fields. Um, and so if you're coming from the help desk, if you're coming from IT administration, even if you're coming from a development background, I think part of that is us as security leaders, we need to recognize, well, yeah, what is that individual development plan that that person needs? but then really coupling it with not only, well, what are the gaps on my team, but where does that person want to go? Is that person interested in pen testing? Is that person interested in forensics? There might be some people interested in compliance, for example, and it's really about tailoring that development plan, that training plan for that particular individual and making sure that you match up those skill sets. And one of the things I found, you know, we all hear about the talent shortage in the industry. And one of the things as a security leader, security manager that I try to think about and try to recommend is sometimes maybe even over hiring, right? You might not necessarily have um, a position for one specific individual or five more specific individuals, but we know that there's inevitably going to be turnover. And so over hire for that a little bit so that you don't have to take the two, three, six months I've even seen in some organizations to ramp those people back up when you have to bring in somebody new, but yeah, over hire for that a little bit from a recruiting perspective. Yeah, man, that's, a, that's such a great point, right? When you find the right talent and they hit your network or your pipeline of, of talent at, that, at a particular moment when they're looking to make a move, man, you got you to gotta find those unicorns and grab them when you can, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, and you know, yeah, part of it is really making yourself more attractive. Kind of the, the best thing that you can do from a recruiting perspective is making sure your existing employees are happy. They're going to be your best recruiters. I mean, I've spent countless hours combing LinkedIn, trying to make connections. And it's really about that, that personal referral, right? I find are the, the best ones. So if your employees are happy, if they're excited about where their careers are going, if they're excited about the work, they're going to be able to help you bring on that next level of talent as well. 
so when folks are coming into science, man, and they want to take the classes they're taking, right? So, you know, I, I've often had this question from folks that worked for me before. Like, I really want to go get a CISSP. And, you know, and we'd sit down and say, okay, well, what's that going to do for your job today? Or is that something that you're designing for your future growth, right? Whichever is fine. You just want to understand it. But do you feel like people are taking the right training at the right time in their career? You know, I think yes and no. Um, you know, over the years, as I look back, think back to all of the training that I've taken, not just in security and IT and in other areas, there are definitely some classes that I took that at the time, maybe it was partially tangentially related to my specific job at the time. But in retrospect, you know, that particular thing that I learned for the week, it was like, ah, I could see how this opened up other opportunities, broadened my horizons. And so, you know, truth be told, we see a lot of people taking penetration testing classes, for example. Well, why? You know, you know, it's, it's sexy, it's cool, it's kind of something perhaps mysterious to, to folks who haven't done it. Yep. Now, do, does that always apply to their specific job at hand? Not necessarily, but, you know, the benefit that we see in that in terms of kind of broadening your mindset is, you know, learning that security mindset. And from an overall kind of industry, if I step back for the industry, you know, we know that we're never going to probably be able to build enough people to fill all of these jobs that are projected to be opened up. And one of the things is, well, how do we teach a security mindset? It's been said in, in recent years that, hey, it's some form or fashion, everyone needs to learn how to code. And it's not that everyone is going to sit at the keyboard, fingers on keyboard, type away and, and write code to build a system, build an application, but it's more of the, the concepts. And so now I would say that, you know, everyone needs to learn to, to some extent, think like a hacker, right? Whether that be, uh, puzzles, mysteries, investigative skills. You know, my, one of my daughters, she's in Girl Scouts and, you know, made a lot of news. You know, the Girl Scouts now have a cyber badge, a cybersecurity badge. And I think that's the type of thing that we need to do to kind of expand the mindset. And so there's, there, you know, there's immediate short-term benefit to taking a certain training class, learning some things, but then there's the longer-term impact of that as well. Yeah, and I, I love that, right, talking about the mindset. And it's also interesting for, you know, for the senior you know, cybersecurity leaders out there who are, or the new leaders out there who are building their orgs for the first time, right? It's important to give folks the flexibility to get that well-roundedness because, you know, as they navigate their career, right, bringing that diverse perspective into the org is so important. Um, but what, what's your take on, you, you touched on the, the talent crisis. Like, what's, what's the biggest talent gap do you think we have right now in cybersecurity? You know, I think we, we were talking about training and, you know, part of this is related to, to automation. You know, we know that there's a lot of hard work in, in security. We know that there's a lot of it to do. And from an automation perspective, if we can start to automate some of these activities, it not only helps us be more effective, speed things up, um, let us use our time in other places, but that automation helps us broaden the base of people that we can actually bring in into our teams, into the, into the field, because some of the automation is handling some of that stuff. So it up levels, right, the, uh, the playing field, if you will, and allows us to broaden, broaden people that we can actually bring in. Yeah, man. So, so let's, let's switch gears real quick here, right? Cause I'm, I'm, I love that you built out sec DevOps framework for SANS and, you know, for programs that don't, that are just starting on that journey, you know, I'd love, you know, can you share a little bit, you know, how, how do you get people to start out, right? What's, what are the top recommendations that you think uh, programs need as they're starting to build out their sec DevOps, you know, programs. What are the what are the top things? You know, well, let's let's take it from the perspective of the, the security leader, the security professional, the security manager, and and ultimately, I think we'll talk more about this, you know, here as we're talking. But the first big thing is, well, understanding why 
why does the organization want to move faster? Why are they implementing certain modern practices like DevOps, SEC DevOps? Why are they undertaking this digital transformation? And what are the business goals, right? As a security leader, as a CISO, we need to understand, is it faster time to market? Is it higher quality? And so with that business understanding, okay, then we say, well, what do we actually need to do? Well, as the security leader, you know, I think there's really three things. Is one, we need to understand what those processes and tools are that are being used by the rest of the organization. What does that CI, continuous integration, CD, continuous delivery pipeline look like? Is it Jenkins? Is it something else? What tools are they using for that automation? What is that technical foundation? But then as that security leader, we need to inject security into those processes, those corresponding configurations, those services that are being used. And then ultimately, right, well, we need to do these things as our security team as well to use those approaches to improve security. Now, I find uh, that it takes a while. It takes a while not only for the organization to figure out, well, what are those processes? What are the tools? What's the corresponding team culture that they're trying to bring? Because, you know, DevOps isn't just a development process. DevOps is kind of a, a way of working for the entire organization, breaking boundaries, not just between a couple groups, but between all groups in the organization. So we in security, right, have to use these approaches to improve our overall security operations as well. And, you know, I've seen that people from all areas of the organization, development, IT, various areas of security, security managers, compliance, in addition to all of the technical folks, right, there's this coalescence of folks coming to learn about this and figure out how to drive change, essentially, in their organizations with this, with this transformation. I love it, man. In the training, right, you know, that's why I want to throw this question at you right up front early, because I know we're going to dive into it here in the next segment. But it's really important, right, we talk about the skills and the gaps. It's not just around the skill gaps in, um, you know, your cybersecurity organization, but it's the mindset and understanding and how you do the training and awareness to drive the transformation with all the other groups you have to now influence and interact with, man. I, I really love that perspective. So we'll dive into that here in a little bit. But all right, folks, we got to transition into a commercial break here. So, hey, if you're a social media junkie, don't forget to follow TF7 Radio on your favorite social media platform. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and even Instagram by searching at TF7 Radio, and you'll be connected to the extended TF7 family on your favorite social media platform. For inquiries regarding sponsoring the show or suggestions for topics or guests, please email George directly at george.redis at tf7radio.com. That's george.redis. That's with the number seven, radio.com. We're going to pause for some quick messages from our sponsors, and then we'll be right back with our special guest, founder and CEO of ThinkSec and the former CISO at the Sands Institute, Mr. Frank Kim. So whatever you do, don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. 
by delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics. X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. Email is having an identity crisis. It's just too easy for attackers to spoof trusted brands or even the government. That's why over 80% of email attacks are based on fake identities. The solution is to stop the fakes before they get to the inbox. That's why enterprises use Valley Mail. It's a trusted identity-based email security solution. Find out if your domain can be spoofed and request a complete free phishing analysis at valleymail.com. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security-innovation.org or Google Sinet, S-I-N-E-T. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guest, founder and CEO of ThinkSec and the former CISO at the Sands Institute, Mr. Frank Kim. Frank, we talk about, uh, you know, cybersecurity leadership on the show a lot. And, you know, we're often asking ourselves, you know, are we hiring the right people into, you know, key cybersecurity leadership roles? Uh, I want to get your take on that. What do you think, man? Are we hiring the right people? You know, I mean, I think that there's really, there's two sides of this coin, obviously. And, you know, we got to take it from each perspective. You know, one, the organization, the team that is looking to bring somebody on, let's just say the CISO, for example, a company, an organization is looking to bring in a brand new CISO. And I've seen this time and time again. You know, they bring in their first CISO or an early CISO, and the person doesn't wind up lasting very long. And we got to ask ourselves, well, why is that? It's not just because 
there's so much opportunity out there. What I find is that there was a mismatch. The company, the organization, they didn't know what they wanted. You know, I've uh, advised a number of companies, and some of them, they spend months looking for that perfect candidate, the, the unicorn that we know doesn't necessarily exist, this perfect combination of technical skills, business knowledge, ability to communicate at the, at the deep technical level all the way up to the board level. And it's hard to find. Some of those people do exist, but it's hard to find that in one particular person. So I think, well, one, the company, the team, your team, needs to figure out, well, what exactly are you looking for? And try to identify, is that a right match? On the flip side, though, I think that you've got to, you've got to, as the potential security leader at an organization, at a new organization, you also have to ask yourself, and I advise my friends and colleagues, other people that reach out about this all the time, is, well, what do you want, right? What do you want in your career? And a lot of times, people will say, well, I want to be the CISO. Well, right. the question is, why? Why do you want to be the CISO? Because it's, it's a hard job, right? And it's, if it's only for the title, the prestige of having a, a team at a certain size organization, well, you know, that kind of hygiene reason is probably not going to have a, a long-lasting effect, right, if you don't love to do that particular work. So you also have to take a step back and reflect, well, what's your background? Are you coming from more of a technical background? Are you coming from more of a compliance background? Are you coming from an audit background? Whatever it might be, right, if, if you're coming from a business background. We see CISOs joining organizations that don't really have a security background but have more of a business background. That's also an indication of, well, is it the right match? Is it the right fit with that organization from a background and culture perspective? And so I really think that, yeah, that's, that's the biggest challenge is, you know, is it, the right, is it the right fit? You know, fit is so important right, in terms of, like, can you acclimate to the culture? Like some cultures can't tolerate the new sheriff in town coming in, guns blazing, right? You know, policing in your face, right? It's not just how they're wired, right? And so... You know, it, you know, some folks, you know, they, they have a hard time making that transition so that you're right. I mean, CISOs really got to be careful about making sure. And so do the hiring companies, right? Have to be careful about who are you hiring? Why are you hiring them? And are they going to be a, a big fit? Because, right, like you talked about up front, if you're going to go on a digital transformation, transformation takes time, takes relationship building, influence, and trust, right? So, and I'd love to get your take on, um, and, and it takes top-down commitment, right? So for first-time CISOs, how, how are you advising them to build trust with the board? You know, you, you nailed it on the head. You know, trust is the key thing there. And, uh, you know, before I get to talking about the board, you know, just an example that comes to mind based on what you were saying is, you know, I know I've got a colleague that not too long ago, he joined as the CISO of this, you know, relatively large organization. And, you know, he went in with, he has got a deep technical background. And he went in, looked around, that there was a security team there before and he looked around and said you know what i don't really like the stuff that was happening here before i want to change things up i want to shake it up i want to be a little bit old and he had different ideas which which are fine but you know that's prior security team that was already there they've been doing some work for a number of years and interacting with the different business units different different business uh, leaders and uh those business leaders said hey mr new CISO, you're coming in saying all of this stuff and, but now you're telling us that the things that we've been working on diligently with the prior security team, you're telling us through your actions that that wasn't valid, right? Well, guess how long that new CISO lasted, right? Less than a year because he didn't build that trust. In fact, he broke down some of that trust because he didn't leverage, well, some of the good things that were happening with the prior regime. So it's not necessarily all bad in every situation. 
And so building that trust happens over time. Just because I walk into a boardroom, just because I walk into the executive office, and hey, hey, you guys, I, you can trust me. I've done this before. They're not going to trust you immediately. Sometimes it takes a couple board meetings, a few board meetings. Sometimes it takes a couple years of that sustained effort and energy. And to your point, the number one thing that CISO security leaders should be doing when they are briefing the board, when they walk into the room, is they should be instilling the board with confidence. Confidence that you, the CISO, the security leader, are the right person for the job. I heard a story that CISO got asked to brief the board, you know, the obligatory 15-minute briefing, quarterly briefing with the board for the first time. And he walked in. You know, I, I might ask you, Andy, you know, to take a quick side note here is when you have a meeting like that, how many slides do you, do you think, Andy, that you would bring in, that you should bring in to a meeting like that? Little as possible. That's right. As few as possible. Maybe three, five. Maybe you got a little bit in the appendix, right? Just a handful of slides, let's say. Well, this CISO, so, uh, so I heard, is he went into this board meeting with 30 slides. Never so, <laughs> Yeah. After the board meeting, his team was waiting for him back at his office. You know, they were anxious to hear. CISO, they said, hey, how did it go? Well, the CISO says, yeah, I think I nailed it. It went great. I got through all 30 slides. Well, <laughs> you can imagine, right? Once the boardroom doors closed, what did that board say about that particular CISO? Right. Well, I never want to see him again. Right? He didn't instill confidence that he was the right person for the job, that they could trust him, and that he could communicate in a way that they could understand. So it's, yeah, exactly what you said. It's all about building that trust. So let's talk a little bit about that part right there, right? Because I think that's the, the thing that, that, that's still kind of, uh, and, it's, and I know it's unique to each board, right? And it's unique to each company. But in general, do you have some general advice for, for the CISOs out there around what does the boardroom want to hear? Like, what do they want? What, what it, you know, we've been doing a lot, you know, lately in the industry around trying to put financial dollars and impact loss, you know, and I think it's a little more, could be a little more advanced than maybe the traditional conversation, right? But I think it's where the industry's headed, and we've talked about it a lot on this show. Mm -hmm. but first time CISO's going in, like, what are the things that you think they, a, a CISO should be bringing to the board? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, as a, as a tip, if you're a first time CISO, let's say that you're coming from a technical background. Well, you know that... From a security perspective, from any perspective, one of the, the most successful, one of the most basic things that you can start with is effective reconnaissance. You want to understand the lay of the land, understand the situation. So if you're briefing the board for the first time, you've got to understand, do some recon, do some research on each of those board members. What's their background? Where are they coming from? What are their preferences? Where did they work before? And for most boards, unless you're you know, typically at a, a tech technology company, most boards, board members are not going to be technical at all. They're business leaders, CEOs, CFOs. They've built and run organizations before. And so while it may sometimes feel, sound, feel like, that, well, they have no idea what you're talking about, it's not that they're dumb. It's because you're not explaining it in a way that they can understand. So first, right, do your research. Do your, back, do your background work. Well, then once you're there, once you've done some of that research, you show up to the meeting. Well, how do you build this trust? The biggest thing is understanding the business. What are the business goals? How does the organization make money? What's its mission? How are the things, the strategic objectives that, you, that the organization is undertaking going to potentially help you accomplish those goals? And what's the cyber risk associated with those various initiatives? And so when you're talking to the board, we've heard this from board members repeatedly, is, hey, I don't want a bunch of technical jargon. Right? What I want to know is a couple things is 
how do we compare? How do we compare to our industry peers? Because if I, company A, am doing something in the same vertical as another company, well, and a lot of times these board members are on multiple boards. They talk to other board members. And so if you're hearing certain things that are different, then the question naturally arises. Well, why? Why aren't we doing something like that? So they want to know, based on industry standard frameworks, how do we compare to others? Right? So that's one, one element that you can introduce into your board communications that will help instill some level of confidence. Now, the most mature organizations and most uh, forward-thinking boards are then saying, okay, well, great. It's not just about doing that maturity comparison. Well, are we actually being effective? Do we have the right tools in place? Do we have the right people in place related to that automation, perhaps, that we were talking about before? But do we have the right processes in place? And are we getting better? Show me right, how we can act are we actually improving? Are we doing well from a maturity perspective, comparison perspective? And are we effective in the things that we're undertaking? And how is that helping us achieve our strategic objectives? So, so man, look, I love it, right? And I think you're hitting a lot of key things for, for, for our peers. Once they do their recon, right, they come in, they've set the stake in the ground. How do they communicate progress? So from a communicating progress perspective, you know, I think it also depends on where the board is at. Right. So this is that recon that we were talking about. You know, I've, uh, I know of situations where brand new CISO goes in, briefs the board, and then the board unexpectedly starts asking a bunch of, well, what we might consider to be basic questions. Well, why does a, an attacker want that information? Why? What are they doing? How did they do it? What, what do they want? And so that's an indication of, well, the board doesn't have the right level of background knowledge. Now, your 15-minute board meeting is not necessarily the place to provide that, but that is giving you a clue, an indication that, ah, you probably need to spend a little bit more time outside of the, the board meeting itself to have a special session, conversations with the individual board members, providing them, we talked about training earlier, provide them some level of training to get them to some um, foundational level of knowledge. So one is understanding where the board is, is actually at. And then from a communicating progress perspective, you know, there's really the three basic ways to do it is if you're a relatively uh, young security program at that organization, well, it's really just about, you know, a lot of times in the aftermath of a breach, everybody's bought in. You don't have to sell what you need to do from a security perspective. It's really going in and saying, hey, what sec security controls are here? What security controls are missing? What are the gaps? And hey, we need to start shoring up some of the defenses. What's our progress towards control implementation? So that might, depending on the size of the org, take some time. But you can show progress towards implementing those controls, meeting those requirements. Then, over time, you say, ah, well, let's say that I'm in, in retail. And in the past, retail as an industry was, of course, not as mature as, let's say, financial services. So you might say, look, we might be the leading retail organization from a security perspective when we do our comparison, but you know, we don't want to aspire to just be the best in the retail industry, security-wise, risk-wise. We want to be the best in comparison to financial services, right? You might make that comp. And then over time, from an effectiveness perspective, you know, that's got a number of different ways that you could measure it. And we're veering off into metrics a little bit. Certainly, you know, kind of the three level of levels of metrics that I, I like to talk about. You've got technical, operational, and executive metrics. Certainly in the board meeting, you're not gonna share with them the mountain of technical data that you have in terms of all of the, the information that your tools and processes might spit out. 
but operationally, you might see that you've got certain thresholds, you've got certain performance indicators, you've got certain um, lower bounds and upper bounds of things that you might want to watch out for. And you can see when you've got a deviation from that where you need to improve. But ultimately, right, the way that you want to convey this at the senior most levels is that executive facing metric, right? How uh, defining, well, what are the things that we're doing from a security perspective? Is it helping us meet our strategic objective? Is it saving us money? Is it driving the bottom line? Is it driving the top line? Right? Those things that vary from organization to organization. So man, in transformation, you know, I think there's a, a, a big part of being able to influence, and, and it's not just around transformation, but the business cases needed to seek investment or buy-in. Um, you know, give us your take on, you know, kind of how practitioners should be building their security business cases. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, great question. Yeah, from a business case perspective, you know, you know, I won't go into all the details of, you know, finance, finance stuff like NPV, net present value, IRR, rate of return, internal rate of return, and so on. But from, you know, my various business cases, I like to frame them thinking about three different things is, um, and again, these are three elements, right? So take these one at a time. So one, you know, I like to think about what we might normally say, right? The, the, uh, uh, a newer security team might say, well, what's the, what's the cost of a breach, right? What is the cost of a record that we're going to lose? And we all know about the, you know, the annual Ponymon data breach survey that comes out that says, roughly speaking, in, in North America, the cost of a record lost is $200. And, you know, if you, let's say you've got 10 million records in your organization, you can't go to leadership and say, hey, if we have a big breach, lose all of our data, well, what's 10 million times $200? Well, that's a lot of money. You can't say, you're not going to get funding. You're not going to get buy-in if you just say that. But that's just a point of reference. That's a point of comparison, right? That's kind of setting the stage, if you will. And really, what you really want to think about is, well, okay, well, where are we from a maturity perspective? From a business case perspective, it's useful to frame it from via that maturity that we were talking about earlier. Is, hey, we are at, let's say, on a one to five scale at a two. Well, the rest of the industry is at a three, right? We want to keep these things as simple as possible so that they're easy to conceptualize. And to get from a two to a three, it's going to take this long, cost this much money. These are the types of things that we're going to need to do. But what you want to spell out explicitly is, what are the dials that the organization can turn? You change the cost, increase, decrease the cost. You change the risk reduction. If we do more or less of this thing, how is it impacting the, the risk reduction? And when you plan it like that, you also want to make sure, of course, that you go in with your recommendation. Now, I've seen security leaders go in with one recommendation. They go in and they say, hey, we've done all of this research. We've built this business case. And we think this is the thing that needs to be done. Now, for me, invariably, I have seen if you only go in with one recommendation, the natural inclination of leadership is to ask a bunch of questions. Well, what if we did a little bit less of this? What if we did a little bit more of this? Well, what about that? So what you want to do, just like when you buy something online, right? There's the low, medium, and high. There's the $10, $20, $30 a month options that provide different benefits. And so I always want to go in myself with three options in the business case that you're asking about and say, hey, A is this with this scope, B is this scope, C is this scope. And, you know, you've pre-answered some of those questions for them. Now, certainly there's probably gonna be some tweaks. Usually I find that they pick the middle one, right? After some discussion. 
Now, if they pick the low one, option A, well, you know, I don't feel too bad, right? Because, you know, I've personally usually framed those options to be relatively close together, so I'm still happy with A. But if they pick option C, right, the highest one, well, I'm happy, right, because we get to do more stuff, but at the same time, quite honestly, I'm a little bit terrified because I'm thinking to myself, well, shoot, how the heck are we going to actually execute and implement all of those I things? On at that point, right? It's ready yeah. To <laughs> Ready to roll, you better bring it. Yeah. Yep. Fair enough. So, so man, what, you know, high level, what do you feel like the goal of a cybersecurity program is? Man, that is a great question. So, I mean, really, you're getting at why does anybody need security? So, I'll give you an example. You know, I've got a, a, a client that over the last five years or so, they turned from a medium sized financial services company to a, a larger one. The business has been doing well. And, uh, you know, talking to the CEO there, one of the things that he was, you know, kind of, to me, obviously struggling with was, hey, how much do we invest in running the business versus how much do we invest in transforming the business? And so the investments that they made, not just in IT, not just in security, but, you know, talking to the CEO across all areas of the organization were appropriate for when they were a mid-sized company. But now that they were growing, new locations, new technologies, new processes, new regulatory requirements based on their scope, right? Well, what do they need to do? And the CEO admits that, hey, you know, they spent just enough, just enough time and resources on keeping the wheels on the bus. But now, you know, he realizes that they need to invest in building the battleship of the future. And, you know, ultimately, security really only does at a high level two things, right? We protect the business, we protect the organization, we prevent bad stuff from happening. And a lot of times you ask, well, what's the goal of a security program? Well, we probably, most of all of us naturally think, well, yeah, it's to prevent bad stuff from happening. It's to protect the organization. But really it's about enabling the business, right? The CEO was saying, hey, he wants the battleship for the future. Well, what does security need to do to be embedded in the way of working, the culture of the entire organization to help make that battleship of the future uh, possible? And so by really figuring out, right, that that is the goal of the security program to support business goals, then you can actually get a, a seat at the table. I love it. And, you know, and it's, and it's really where that, you know, when CISOs look at their, their investment dollars or their programs and, and they say, okay, how can I help drive the digital transformation, you know, with the company, right? How mm -hmm. can we go on that journey together? And I think that's where, you know, depending on kind of maturity of the company, that's where the CISO role becomes so so much fun, right, for folks is if you, you like to influence and drive change because you really have an opportunity to do that with that role. And uh, it's interesting when the light bulb goes off with everyone else, right, around, wow, you know, it's security isn't just around, you know, prevention. It's, it's influence and driving that transformation, how they all have to be embedded, the processes, the um, mindset, you know, the program development, the project timelines and roadmaps all have to be done together, right, as a group, right? So it's definitely a, you live as a team, you die as a team kind of model, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that team isn't just, you know, the information security organization. It's, it's, it's the whole thing, right? So, so man, I, I really want to, I got one more question for you, and I'd love to get your take on before we take a break. You know, the role has changed, CISO role has changed so much. Where, where do you see their role evolving to in, in, over the next three to five years? Yeah, so it's really about the, 
business transformation here. I mean, if we look back, I mean, the CIO is a perfect comp for this. You know, decades ago, when the CIO role was starting to gain prominence, the same complaints that the CEO business leaders had about the CIO back then are the same complaints that they've got about the CISO today. Oh, the CIO of yesteryear was a technical individual. They didn't understand the business. They didn't understand the organization. They didn't know anything about the mission and profit and loss and so on. Now, truth be told, when I started my career as an engineer, right, sitting at my, uh, sitting at my desk, typing away, doing technical things, deploying and building various systems, you know, I didn't spend the time at that moment in my career thinking about well, what's the bigger picture? What are the business goals of the organization? Well, now I think that the CIO in general right, is recognized as being a business leader. And so one of the things that I like to talk about a lot is, well, yeah, for us as security managers, security leaders, CISOs, how do we become that security business leader? And it really starts with an understanding of what's the organization trying to achieve. One small tangible thing that all of you can do is when you go back and you think, look across your team, look across your portfolio, say, hey, what percent of my investments are running the business activities, keeping wheels on the bus, versus transforming the business activities? Is it zero? Is it 5%? 10%? Right? It probably needs to be somewhere around, it depends on your organization, but in the 20 to 30% range where you're investing in more transformational investments every single year in your security portfolio that have an obvious direct tie to things that are not just keeping the wheels on the bus. I love it. I love it, Frank. Well, hey, hey man, we're going to take another short break to hear from our sponsors. Don't go away, folks. We're right back with more from our special guest, founder and CEO of ThinkSec and the former CISO at the Sands Institute, Mr. Frank Kim. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. Email is having an identity crisis. It's just too easy for attackers to spoof trusted brands or even the government. That's why over 80% of email attacks are based on fake identities. The solution is to stop the fakes before they get to the inbox. That's why enterprises use Valley Mail. It's a trusted identity-based email security solution. Find out if your domain can be spoofed and request a complete free phishing analysis at valleymail.com. 
As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security-innovation.org or Google Sinet, S-I-N-E-T. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guest, Founder and CEO of ThinkSec and the former CISO at the Sands Institute, Mr. Frank Kim. Frank, you know, you're in a unique position, right, where you're one of those leaders who's technical, you're risk-based, privacy-focused. You know, I would love to get, you know, what would be your advice for, for technical leaders? Yeah, great question. The, you know, especially if you're coming from a technical background, well, by definition, you're familiar with the various technical controls and technical implementation, things that need to be put in place by the team. But I, you know, I would suggest taking a step back from that and trying to make sure that you conceptualize your security program in a, uh, a more comprehensive way, right? And that's really to think about it in, kinds of, in terms of three different areas. And a lot of times when we think about our security program, we think about, well, it's complicated, right? It's hard for us to explain security to people outside of security. There's this syndrome that is uh, known as the curse of knowledge, right? That is exactly that. It's like whenever you're an expert in any field, people that are those experts find it hard, maybe not impossible to explain their field to others in a simple way that they can understand. Well, frameworks, various security frameworks are intended to try to help us explain and conceptualize security in a better, easier way. Well, if unfortunately like me, you've had to read the many dozens, hundreds of pages of the various security frameworks that are out there, you will find that, well, unfortunately, those frameworks don't really make it all that much easier to explain security, right? They're hard to understand these frameworks. (laughs) Make it harder. Yeah. And so I like to really think about those frameworks in three different categories. You've got control frameworks, you've got program frameworks, and you've got risk frameworks. And, you know, I like to talk about this in terms of a, a metaphor, a metaphor of related to cooking. Now, let's imagine 
that, you know, you want to be a world-class chef and open a world-renowned restaurant. Well, unfortunately, like me, you don't know actually all that much about cooking, but that's been your dream since you were a kid. Well, well, where do you start? How do you learn about cooking? Well, the first thing that you need to do is, well, you need to know, well, what are the various ingredients? When you go into the supermarket, and if you go grocery shopping, go to Costco, and you go make the mistake of going hungry, going while you're hungry, well, then you make the mistake of buying a bunch of stuff that you don't need. Well, so you need to understand what is that list of ingredients. And those I would liken to your control frameworks. Various control frameworks in the industry, NIST 853, the critical security control, CIS controls, and so on. But that gives you essentially the, the, the list of ingredients that you could potentially put into your dishes. Well, it's not enough to have a list of ingredients. You need to know, as the chef, the aspiring chef, what goes well with other things, what works together, what combinations are effective, and what you need as an appetizer, main course, dessert, and so on. And that's where your program, what I would call your program frameworks come into play. Those are your recipes, if you will. Well, what generally speaking goes well together? And so that might be something like a NIST cybersecurity framework, ISO 27001, and so on. Right, what are the different elements of technical controls, people controls, process controls? that you need to put in place, how are they put together? But it's not just about that program framework. And you also need to think about, okay, well, as the aspiring world-class chef, well, are people going to come to my restaurant? So it's not just about the ingredients, the controls. It's not just about the menu, your overall program. It's about knowing what kind of restaurant you wanna build. And this is, gets back to that understanding the business that we talked about before. Who were your com competitors? Who are your potential customers? What are the threats to your business success? What are those macro forces that can present cyber risk? Who are your suppliers? What about your employees? How much money? What's your burn rate? How much time do you have to show results? These are the big picture questions that a risk framework will help you understand because the risk framework, well, should help you not only define your risk assessment process, but help you analyze risk for the organization that says, ah, if we undertake this activity, well, we got this level of risk. And so maybe we want to turn those dials a little bit that we were talking about before. Yeah, man, it's such a, it's such a big component of it, right? And so, you know, when we talk about technical leadership versus risk-based leadership and frameworks, you know, you mentioned the mindset earlier. How do you instill the mindset into the culture to help drive the transformation that we're looking to drive? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, it's a few things. There's some structural things that could be put in place, and then there are some kind of everyday best practices. Now, really from a culture perspective, what we're talking about here is creating change, driving change, right? It's not just about implementing controls. I've seen so many security teams, so many security programs. They're doing a really good job. They're, they've got a lot of great things going on. But then the one, two, three, key people leave. And then the security program just kind of over time disintegrates a little bit because the things that those people were doing were really holding everything together. And that is a big indication that, well, you didn't build a sustaining culture, right? You didn't build sustaining processes that are driving change naturally now organically with throughout the organization. Now, why does this happen? Why does it disintegrate? Well, change is hard, takes time, requires constant reinforcement. But we have to have this, well, not only because the security risks, the threat landscape changes all the time, but the business landscape is constantly changing as well. So for security teams to be 
the most successful, right? We have to not only create behaviors, right? Hey, don't click on this bad email. Well, people will only sustain those behaviors if they see some prolonged benefit to them. So once you get those behaviors in place, that can slowly start to inform culture over time. So then the various business units, other departments, right? They naturally are now more aware of security. And so these are things uh, that you can use to help foster a security and risk-based culture, but this takes a long time. Now, the other thing that I mentioned just in passing was, well, what about from a structural perspective? Well, I would say the, the job of the modern CISO is not only to do the things that we were just talking about, but is to identify, well, what structural things can we put in place that could make a difference? I'm talking about things like requiring executive bonuses, everybody's bonuses, to be tied to some level of security goals. If those security and risk goals aren't met, well, people aren't going to get their bonuses. And you can be sure that that's going to help drive some of that behavior that you want to put in place as well. Man, it's, it's so true, right? I mean, it's the accountability um, that really drive people's you know, actions. Um, and you see it time and time again as you're trying to make transformational efforts where if you don't have the right players accountable uh, to help drive that change, bought in, it just falls, right? It can fall mm -hmm. and fall fast. Um, and, and so really it, it also speaks to the lifespan of CISOs, right? And if they don't have the ability to influence because they're in the wrong, you know, their wrong uh, environment, right? So mm -hmm. let's, let's kind of cap this thing off. You know, what advice can you give a company looking to hire a CISO and how, to, how can they set the CISO up for success? If you're a company looking to bring, bring in a CISO to kind of drive improvements to your program is take a step back and say, ah, what do I as the company want? What is actually, right, the risks? What are the risks that I'm, I'm facing? Bring in the right level of CISO based on their background, a technical CISO, a business-oriented CISO, a transformational CISO, right? Try to get an understanding of what you need at that particular time. Now, that can change as well. So, you know, I, I know many organizations that bring in, make a decision. They have this conversation internally that we're talking about and say, they say, look, where we are right now, we need to bring in more of a technical CISO because our IT operations aren't that mature, because our processes aren't that mature. But we, need, we want to bring that person in so that as we grow as a company, well, we want to see if that person can grow as well. But I would say, you know what, be upfront about that so that the expectations are aligned. Understand yourself and understand, hey, do you want to bring in a technical CISO? Do you want to bring in a business-oriented CISO? And where in your business trajectory are you so that that's actually aligned? You know, it's interesting, you know, you touched on something around, you know, where the company is at the time they need it. It, it often seems like when I talk to recruiters looking for trying to place candidates or referrals that it's often that the whole ecosystem isn't fully aligned, right? The candidate, the recruiter, the company, it's often the process for them to kind of work through it over time to ultimately say, yeah, this is what we're really looking for. And I think it's important for companies to be okay with the timing it takes, the time it takes to get that right versus pulling the trigger on someone too soon. And I think, you know, candidates need to be comfortable with and okay with that companies are trying to find the right fit and, you know, understand that because if, it, if, if you end up in a situation as a CISO or the company where you've got the wrong fit, it just is going to be awful for everybody, right? And set the company back, set you back in your career, 
uh, I, I really appreciate, you know, that, that perspective, Frank. Yeah, you know, many years ago, I was, uh, you know, offered a CISO position. And, uh, you know, I, uh, I turned it down at that particular time. And, you know, my last bit of advice, I guess I would leave the listeners here with is, you know, and the reason I turned it down is there was just something in my gut that I couldn't articulate it at the time when I was going through the process in the moment, but something in my gut said, you know, it's not the right fit. Talking to the CEO, talking to the other leaders at that organization, there just wasn't uh, the right connection, the right fit there. And so I, I turned it down. So the last bit of advice I guess I would say is, you know, we talked about what does the company need to do? But, you know, you, the security leader, right, don't just jump to the, to the next opportunity. If, if your gut doesn't tell you, right, if your gut tells you something is off, well, really try to listen to that and, you know, make the best decision for yourself. Sound advice, brother. All right, Frank, I really appreciate you coming on the show, buddy. Thanks a bunch. Hey, thanks a lot for having me, Andy. Really appreciate it. And then, all right, folks, it's time for us to bounce up on out of here. Before we go, I want to remind our listeners to visit the Cybersecurity Hub to read a recap of tonight's show. And to get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at www.cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Stay frosty out there. Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. Be sure to join your host, George Reedus, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.